0: and Happy New Year. My name is Don Pizzata, and I serve as one of the elders here at Crawford Avenue, and it is the first day of the new year. Praise God that we have the opportunity to be together in corporate worship on the first day of the year. As we continue to worship, please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, and I'll read for us verses 21 through 35. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, you'll find our passage on page 857. 857. Luke chapter 2, verses verses 21 through 35. At the end of the eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. And Simeon blessed them, and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Amen. This is God's word. Well, today is the last message in our series entitled, Christ is Born. And over the last four weeks, we have walked through portions of Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. If you were able to be here last week on Christmas morning, you'll remember that Pastor Burt preached on chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. At the end of that sermon, Pastor Bert made a point that there were three responses to the announcement and birth of Christ. Two of them were bad, and one of them... Two of them were good, and one of them was bad. If you remember, that announcement of Jesus' birth to the shepherds was in chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, where Luke says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day <clears throat> in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Then, in verse 18 of chapter 2, the negative response. Actually, Pastor Burt called it a dangerous response. And all who heard it wondered at what, what, what the shepherds told them. The point was that at first, verse 18 sounds like a positive thing. The word wonder is not that they wondered whether or not what they heard was true. They were in amazement or in awe. But the implication is, is that it stopped right there. They did not further investigate into all that they had heard. The crowds were wondering at Jesus and the announcement of his miraculous birth. But it was only a momentary or fleeting moment of expectation. When thinking of expectations and spectacular events, it made me think of space travel, outer space. For example, the Apollo 11 space mission, or the Apollo 12 space mission. And now you might remember or you may have heard that Apollo 11 was the first time in human history that we visited another celestial body. We visited the moon. Now, I promise that this is not going to be an argument for the validity of whether or not we landed on the moon. But you would think that that event would have been spectacular. It would have been an overwhelming experience. You could even say that it was the coolest thing that any human had ever done up until that point. But as Apollo 11 hovered over the moon, one of the astronauts turned to the other two and said, quote, it's amazing how quickly you adapt. It doesn't seem weird at all to me to look out the window and see the moon passing by. End quote. Three months later, more astronauts in the Apollo 12 mission were traveling to the moon, and they actually walked on the moon again. One astronaut turned to the other and said, quote, it's kind of like the song, Is That All There Is? End quote. The other astronaut was relieved to hear that because he secretly felt the same way, describing his own moonwalk as spectacular, but not momentous. Now, for all the space travel fans in the room, I don't know the validity of this story, but I did read it on the Internet. (laughs) Most of the time... The upside of experiences and expectations comes from the thrill of anticipation. But actual experience tend to fall flat, and our mind quickly moves to anticipating the next event. If walking on the moon left astronauts underwhelmed, what does it say about our own earthly goals and expectations, or even our resolutions? More to our point this morning, what does it say about the crowds who heard the announcement of Jesus' arrival? This amazing birth, and then after the initial awe and wonder of it, they just kind of went on their way, like it was no big deal. What about today? Today's passage, we're going to further explore the role of jesus how the sovereign god of the universe orchestrated a specific event and inspired another moment in history to further reveal the role and impact of jesus arriving on the scene to further reveal the purpose <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> to further reveal the purpose behind the long awaited messiah who is finally here I owe my son a debt of gratitude for this cough. Thank you, son. Happy New Year. I've entitled this morning's message, The Comfort of Israel Presented and Revealed as the Savior of the World. The Comfort of Israel Presented and Revealed as the Savior of the World. And our main point this morning is that from his humble beginnings... Jesus, through his parents' obedience and by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is presented to God, revealed as the comfort of Israel, and again lifted up as the salvation of all peoples to the ends of the earth. A shorter version of that main point is, Luke records more proof that Jesus is the good news of great joy for people everywhere. With that in mind, I want us to consider our passage in three parts this morning. First, the presentation. Second, the purpose. And third, a promise. So the presentation, the purpose, and a promise. Our first point is the presentation of Jesus. Look there in the text in verses 21 through 24, and Luke says... At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, what Luke is doing here in the opening verses of this passage is setting up the presentation of the child, Jesus. Joseph and Mary must have been going a little bit crazy at this point. They have some steps to take in order to get to this point of presentation. So imagine on top of all of the amazement of having a baby, the miracle of the gift of life. And it's not just any life. Joseph and Mary knew that this was Jesus that we were talking about. There was angels and shepherds, stars and mangers, and all of this on top of the fact that they knew that they had preparations to make, to present Jesus to the Lord. From the very beginning of this story, Mary and Joseph had been an amazing testament And testimony of God's grace. We talked a little bit about Mary last week, her strength and faith to get her through all of this up until this point. And Joseph, well, let's just say that Joseph would have and maybe even could have saved himself a lot of worry if he just walked away from it when he had the chance. But he did not do that. And now Joseph is the earthly adoptive father of Jesus. The son of God is his adopted son. No pressure, Joseph. Just get ready to present your adopted son to God. And Luke tells us in chapter 2, verse 21, that eight days had passed. The son of God, miraculously conceived and born of a virgin by the power of the Holy Spirit, humbly born in lowly estate, Wrapped in swaddling cloths and placed in a manger, an animal food trough, announced to shepherds by an angel and praised by a multitude of heavenly hosts, is now a little over a week old. Jesus, who was and is and forever will be the Son of God, fully God and now fully man, is here. And then in an act of parental obedience, according to the customs of the law, Jesus Is circumcised. Now circumcision was required of all Jewish males. We see this in Genesis and in Leviticus. And it was instituted by God for three specific reasons. First, it had health benefits. Hard stop. Second, more significantly, circumcision was the sign of the Abrahamic covenant that God made with Abraham in Genesis chapter 17. It was a mark of Israel's national identity. And then third, and finally, circumcision serves as a spiritual lesson, an object lesson graphically illustrating man's need to be cleansed from sin. But Jesus is sinless. And still, eight days later, Luke tells us that he's circumcised. Why? Well, in large part, So that from the very beginning of his life, Jesus would be dedicated to follow and obey all of the commandments of God. The significance of which he will later reveal himself when Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law, I have come to fulfill the law. There was no ignoring of the law or forgetting about the law. Jesus came to fulfill the law. And this fulfillment begins at the eight-day mark. Jesus is submitted by his parents to complete obedience to God, and he is on the path to fulfill every obligation that God has instituted for his people. Then Luke tells us, still in verse 21, that when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now Jesus, the name, is the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew name Joshua. Joshua, Joshua means Yahweh saves, or God saves. So an angel tells Mary, and then an angel tells Joseph, you shall call him Jesus. In that small note that Luke includes, that we see all throughout the last four weeks, we see the gospel right there. The good news is Jesus. God saves. Matthew Matthew records the words of the angel in, in the angel speaking to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, where it says, She, that is Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Why is the child named Jesus? For or because... He will save his people from their sins. That, my friends, is the gospel. Luke continues in chapter 2, verse 22. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons. This preparation that Mary and Joseph are doing by giving, by having Jesus circumcised and then naming Jesus is almost complete. Now Luke says, and when the time came, it's a reference to the Old Testament scripture that established the time period that was necessary for purification. And primarily, this applies to Mary. So further steps are required to ensure that that she is cleansed according to the law after giving birth. And the text says that Joseph and Mary then took Jesus up to Jerusalem, to the temple, to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of Moses. The law of Moses is a reference, again, to the Old Testament, referring to the law given to moses on mount sinai by yahweh and the requirement was that every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the lord this presentation had a purpose luke takes this from exodus chapter 13 verse 2 exodus 13:2 says concentrate to me all the firstborn or concentrate to god all the firstborn Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. So, again, what we see here is Jesus is presented to the Lord so that from the very beginning of his life, he would be dedicated to follow and obey all the commands of God. And what we see happening here is his parents obeying and dedicating their first son to serve God. We see a picture of this here, even at Crawford Avenue, in our baby dedications, where parents commit to raising their children in a gospel-centered home and teach them the truths and promises of God's Word. And as a church, the members of the church commit to come alongside them and help them and pray for them to that end. In Mary and Joseph's case, they are presenting Jesus as one who is completely dedicated to God in a unique and supernatural way. And then they further, Mary and Joseph further display their testimony, their obedience to the law of God. Look at verse 24, and Luke says that Mary and Joseph also went there to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. It's important to note that according to Old Testament law, what is actually required here is a one-year-old lamb. But there's also a provision in Leviticus that allows for those who cannot afford a lamb to present a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And I want you to understand this in the larger context of who we know, looking back, of who Jesus is. As we have said, Jesus means God saves. And Jesus is the promised Savior of the world. His parents now have to go to the temple... And they have to offer a burnt offering and a sin offering. In this case, because of their poverty, they cannot afford a lamb, so they offer a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. One for burnt, one for sin. Why? Because Mary is a sinner. And she is in need of a Savior. And whether she knew it or not, Mary's sacrifice here, according to one commentary, quote, symbolized the ultimate sacrifice for sin that her own son would make on the cross. Jesus' ultimate sacrifice granted direct access to God by fully satisfying his wrath and atoning for the sins of all who put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, End quote. Jesus is presented to God, and all the required steps have been completed at this point, The faithfulness of Jesus' parents is on full display as they submit in full obedience to the commands of God as written in the law. That leads us to our second point. Luke records the purpose, the purpose of Jesus. In so doing, Luke introduces us to a man named Simeon. And this man, who is well advanced in years, plays a significant role in the narrative from this point forward. Look there in the text, picking up in verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. A Simeon is a little bit of a fascinating character, if not mysterious. What we see in the text is really all that we know about him. <coughs> and besides his name, Luke tells us three important facts about who Simeon was. In verse 25, we know that he was a righteous and devout man. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. First, the first point that Luke tells us is that Simeon was righteous and devout. It's, it's actually a very similar uh, description as what we saw in uh, what we see in Luke chapter 1, verse 6 about Zechariah and Elizabeth. We are told there that Zechariah and Elizabeth were both righteous. They were righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. In other words, Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous and devout. This is significant because Luke here is alluding to an Old Testament truth. The promise that God made to his people that he would always keep a remnant. A remnant, according to one Bible dictionary, is... A portion of people left after a disaster, especially a disaster identified with divine judgment, especially in the prophets, this term describes those who remain faithful to God despite suffering and who ultimately experience restoration. So, a people left after disaster that's identified with divine judgment, those who remain faithful to God despite suffering... And ultimately, they experience restoration. That's what the remnant is. With that definition in mind, I want you to consider and listen to the text again in verse 25 and 26. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death, before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Simeon is part of the remnant of God. He is considered righteous and devout. He is faithful despite suffering. And we can't make the mistake of overlooking the fact that the state of the world when Jesus arrived was terrible. It was bad in Israel at the time, politically bad, it was financially bad. There was a cruel king, Herod, in the, in the, on the throne. Religion was mocked and minimalized. Legalism ran rapid. Worldliness was everywhere. And God had been silent for 400 years. But God, in his faithfulness and mercy, allowed a remnant of believers to remain like Zechariah and Elizabeth, like Joseph and Mary. Like the shepherds in the field, all of those used by God, chosen for monumental and extraordinary service in the connection with the arrival of the Messiah. And Simeon is one of those remnant. He is righteous and devout. And then Luke tells us that he is waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, consolation means comfort. And according to one commentary, quote, the phrase consolation of Israel is used in the Bible to call attention to the Jewish hope of the coming of the Messiah, those Jews who have groaned in times of bondage, wept in times of exile, who are now were oppressed under the tyranny and heavy burden of Rome, looked, looking to heaven for their release from suffering. You see, it's people who experience consistent grief, frustration, and pain— who want to be consoled or comforted, end quote. So Simeon is waiting, and he's been looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. Luke also tells us that the Holy Spirit was upon him. An important note on this phrase that Luke very intentionally includes in this passage, the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon. Now, one of the most common mistakes in understanding the third person of the Trinity is to think that the Holy Spirit's ministry doesn't begin until after Pentecost. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit convicted people in the Old Testament of their sin, prompted repentance, and gave life, elicited faith, and drew them to God so that all those who were saved before Christ were saved in the same way as those who were saved after by grace, through faith. And having the Holy Spirit upon Simeon allowed Simeon to receive the revelation that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Christ, until he had seen the Messiah. Again, the sovereign orchestration in providence here is amazing. The spirit-filled man enters into the temple and then Mary and Joseph bring the baby Jesus into the temple at the same time. Verse 27, When Simeon says, Lord, now, it's a direct reference to uh, now, like a reference to time, right now. Take me. Why is Simeon ready to die? Because he's holding in his hands and looking into the eyes of salvation itself. Because he's holding the good news of great joy for all peoples. This child... ...that Simeon is holding is salvation. He is prepared in the presence of all peoples. Simeon then says... ...this is where it gets crazy. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. I don't think I can stress that enough. How radical and shocking that would be. That Simeon is proclaiming that the purpose of Jesus is salvation and prepared in the presence of all peoples. And just to make it more clear, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Now, unless you're Jewish, that's you and me. And that is good news. John MacArthur says of this proclamation of purpose by Simeon, quote, salvation is offered to all people, Jew and Gentile alike, since Christ made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall from Ephesians chapter 2. And there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for believers are all one in Christ. Therefore, the Lord directed that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem, end quote. Oh, my friends, hear the purpose and pursue that purpose with everything that you have. Salvation is offered to all people. Repent and believe. Pray for the forgiveness of sins made possible through the life of this very same child, Jesus, who after living a perfect and sinless life would sacrifice himself on a cross, taking on the full wrath of God, Raised from the dead, defeating sin and death, pursue that. We must look back to Jesus with the same faithfulness and dedication that Simeon looked forward to Jesus. Now, Simeon has a little bit more to say. This will be our third and final point a promise. Up until now, Jesus is presented to God so that he can fulfill the law of God and his purpose of salvation to all peoples is actually full of promise in and of itself. But there's an additional promise that Simeon shares directly with Mary in the form of a warning. Look there in the text, beginning with verse 33, and we read, And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, and here's the promise. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed." verses thirty four and thirty five mark the first negative words that Luke has recorded in his gospel account up until this point. Now we don't have uh, time to fully unpack this entire passage um, here in starting with verse thirty four but there are some very important pieces that we need to address the first thing i want to I want to show you is is in the text where it says that Jesus' father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Some translations may use the word amazed. So Joseph and Mary surely would have been amazed that Simeon had this uh, prophecy and was holding their son and prophesying about him, and that would have been amazing, and they would have marveled at that. But what they're really marveling at is the words that Simeon shares. Remember, Gabriel appeared and had wonderful things to say about, baby, about, the, about the child Jesus and that the, the baby that Mary would conceive. And so did the shepherds. The shepherds had great things to say about what the angels had told them. Even the heavenly hosts singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased is an amazing word shared about Jesus. Jesus' parents had a lot of messages that they had heard up until this point. But Simeon's message is specific and direct and very detailed. At the end of verse 33, it says that Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Jesus is appointed by God, and the reason he is appointed is for the fall and rising of many. It's a puzzling statement, almost paradoxical. What does Simeon mean here? Well, the idea is that all throughout the New Testament, with Christ, there is no neutrality. When a person encounters Christ, they're either for him or they are against him. There's no middle ground. We cannot be lukewarm. You either trip over Jesus or you are established by Jesus. Then Simeon says that Jesus would be a sign that is opposed. The word for sign here in the original language is the same word used all throughout the New Testament for miracles. And it indicates that this sign is so clear that it's impossible to miss it. All you Georgia drivers out there, it's not a speed limit sign. This is the largest billboard ever created. This is the Times Square of signs. You cannot miss it. Specifically, Simeon is referring to the sign that Jesus is the Savior of the world. And it speaks to his purpose. It speaks to his power. It speaks to his role. And it speaks mostly to his nature as the Son of God. And... People will rise up and they will speak against it. The sign will be opposed. People are going to reject, deny, and contradict Jesus forever. It sounds like 2023. This promise actually gets worse, specifically for Mary. Simeon says, And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. The sword piercing Mary's soul is a direct reference to the foot of the cross, where the Roman soldier would take the long sword or the spear and pierce Jesus' side to ensure that he was indeed dead. And although she was not physically dead, pierced. Simeon assures her that she will feel, feel that piercing in her soul so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Later in his life, before he goes to the cross, Jesus tells Nicodemus in John three nineteen, this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light for their deeds were evil. Jesus is the light shining in the darkness, and that light exposes the evil of men's hearts. In contrast, to those who reject Jesus when they see his works, Simeon knew without ever seeing any of those works come to come to pass. Simeon knew without even hearing the child utter a word. He knew as soon as he picked up the infant Jesus that this is the Messiah. And then Simeon testifies to that glorious truth. We need to see the significant implications of what Simeon says here. The warning that Simeon gives... Before the infant Jesus was two years old, Simeon is overwhelmed with joy to have finally seen the Savior, in part because of the promise that was given to him that he was going to now be able to, to, to depart in peace. Simeon sees this good news of great joy, holds Jesus in his arms, but he sees it in Full display in the shadow of the cross. You see, the world wants comfort without the discomfort of the truth. The world wants a savior without a sacrifice. The world wants nothing to do with a suffering servant. Ever since the fall of man... Ever since sin entered into the world, the world tries to hide from the reality and truth of who God truly is. And the fact that he would come and be with us to offer himself as a sacrifice to us, that's just crazy. It's a stumbling block for the Jew. It's ridiculous folly for the Gentile. paraphrasing the great Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon Jesus is not a man made into God, nor God degraded to the level of a man he is not something in between a man and God but the absolute God of heaven and earth the triune God himself one with his father in every attribute, eternal without being, without beginning of days or end of life Omnipresent everywhere at once, omnipotent, having all power in heaven and earth, omniscient, knowing all things from eternity. Jesus is the great creator, preserver, and judge of all, in all things, the equal and the exact image of the invisible God. Spurgeon is echoing the words of scripture that proclaim that if we don't get the deity of Christ correct, there is no gospel. The good news that doesn't include a divine Savior is not good news at all. Jesus Christ, the Son of Mary, once sleeping in his mother's arms, lifted up by the old man Simeon, is infinite even while he was an infant. Jesus is the eternal God of the universe and lives forever. Jesus, who suffered and died paying the ransom for sins of man, is at the same time the God whose who's right hand who's, who, the God at whose right hand is peace and eternal joy. If Jesus doesn't come to us as a baby, he could have never sympathized with you and me. He couldn't have suffered in our place. The Holy Spirit reveals all of this to Simeon and as a promise to him, tells them that he can depart in peace. Simeon testifies to the truth that the child that he is holding is the Savior of the world. He is the comfort of Israel and a light for revelation for Gentiles, and for glory of Israel. Simeon knew that Jesus was all this because he knew Jesus is God. And Simeon knew that Jesus would pay the ultimate price on the cross. Friends, if you're not trusting in Jesus this morning, you're on very dangerous ground. I pray that you would seek after Jesus, even this morning, and trust in him as your only hope of salvation. If you have trusted in Jesus, embrace the peace, comfort, and joy that is promised in him. The same peace and comfort and joy that Simeon was promised is true for us as well. We have heard it in the testimony of saints that have gone before us, even this past week. The testimony of uh, Miss Joyce Meadows. She went home to be with the Lord, and we celebrate that. We celebrate that her life was marked with faith. We celebrate that even as she struggled through health, even as she came to the end of her life, Miss Joyce knew. She knew that God was with her. She clung to that truth as she went to be with her Savior. Miss Joyce's testimony is not that different from the testimony of Simeon. Simeon was miraculously granted the gift of seeing and holding the Savior before he departed this world in peace. Friends, we have to pursue that peace, pursue the peace and comfort that passes all understanding. Strive to walk in the light that is promised in Jesus Christ. Run away from the darkness of this world. We should resolve this very morning to continue our pursuit of Jesus and pray that we would be strengthened in our faith to share the promises of God and the good news of Jesus Christ to all peoples, even to the ends of the earth, for the glory of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are forever grateful for the gift of your grace and mercy. Father, we are grateful for your Son, Jesus, that you would send him to be with us. We praise you for your word that that shows us that you keep your promises, that your faithfulness knows no end. And we pray that we would seek after you in your word every day. Give us strength to resolve, to pursue the good news so that we might be continually changed by it and that we might be emboldened to proclaim it to the ends of the earth. We pray this in the name that means God saves. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, amen.